1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Will you pray with me? Our Lord and our God, who are we to look to any other place other than you for our growth and our need and being sustained in this world? So, Father, we ask that you captivate our minds with the, your call to grow in Christ-like maturity by using our gifts and to partnering with one another to bring you glory and honor, which will bring us the greatest joy. Be with Pastor Jeff as he preaches. May he preach in boldness, and may our hearts receive what your word has to instill in us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And just for the future, after every scripture reading, you may be seated. <laughs> but I just have to say that because in case some of you just stay standing. Uh, thank you, Patrick, for reading us that. We actually are going to be in Acts chapter 18, but I wanted him to read you that passage because by the time Paul writes for the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians, uh, this guy named Apollos that we're going to meet in the text today is pretty popular. He's a pretty slamming preacher. Uh, but before we look at that text today, I want us as a congregation to just join our hearts in prayer for some of the chaos that's going on in our world today. Would you do that? Uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you this morning because you are the king of glory and there is none beside thee. And you are sovereign over all of the situations that are happening around our world today. But God, as a, as a body, we just want to lift up our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. We want to lift up our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. And, uh, and we pray for them. We pray for their safety. We pray for their protection. And Lord, if, if it comes to it and they must give their life as a witness for you, we pray that many disciples will be made because of their witness. And Lord, we also pray, God, for the efforts to, to get people out of there and all of that. God, we pray that that would go as well as it can. And we ask for your intervention. And Lord Jesus, we also lift up uh, our servicemen and uh, Americans who are there. We pray for their safety. But Lord, we also uh, want to lift up uh, those who live in these Sunbelt states that are get, about to get hit by this hurricane. God, we, we just pray for that there would be not one loss of life. We pray for our family members. We pray for those who live in, in those communities. And we just ask for their protection and safety. And uh, God, we trust in you. We trust in a really big God. And we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for uh, joining your hearts with mine in prayer. Now, today we're going to be looking at this uh, person whose name is Apollos in the text. Uh, so we'll, we will be in Acts chapter 18, kind of verses 24 through 28. Uh, now, just so you know what has happened since last week, uh, since that message, that uh, awesome message that Daniel did last week, since then, Paul has moved on. And Paul has moved on to go all the way back, circle back to Antioch now. So he's gone to Jerusalem, Ephesus, then Jerusalem, all the way back up to Antioch. And now, the, now Luke's story is going to shift the focus just for a paragraph to this young man named Apollos. In verse 24, it says this, and, and now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandrian, a native Alexandrian. Now, why would it be necessary for him to tell you that it was a Jew from Alexandria? Because Alexandria was a city in North Africa that was a very cultured, cosmopolitan Greek city. And the Jews who were there, there's a historian, his name is Philo, 
He was also a philosopher. And Philo wrote contemporaneous with Luke, wrote just about the same time that Luke did. And he describes in several passages, he tells us what the Jews were like in Alexandria. And what he says, what he describes there is a synagogue culture of Jews. These people were so well educated by their priests and by their scribes, Philo says this, that the average synagogue goer, like the average congregant, did not have to ask an expert on any matter of Torah. Like these people are very well educated, and this education is very prized in uh, this region of Alexandria, uh, where Philo, was, Philo and both Apollos are from. And so, so he's telling us this man is a Jew. He's a Hellenized Jew uh, from a very Greek city. He says he's, he was an eloquent man who was competent in his use of the scriptures. He arrived in Ephesus, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. So he had also been taught about Jesus and taught in the way of Christ. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. Now, we're going to talk about the baptism issue in this story and the next story next week. I'm not really going to touch on that this week. But this week, we're going to look at this man. And we're going to look at why it is that, that Luke is highlighting his character. What do we learn about him? We encounter a man today whom he says in verse 25 was boiling over with the Spirit. Have you ever met anyone like that? I think I was a guy like that at once. I would like to think that I still am, but uh, in my youth and in my zeal, he's what, I was boiling over in the Spirit, and that's the way Apollos was. He was a new Christian. He was just ready to share his faith and ready to instruct anyone he could in the faith, and so his zeal was hot. His preaching expressive and eloquent His knowledge was advanced, and he was a well-educated Jew in the Old Testament. And his handling of Scripture was careful, and it was competent, and his teaching was precise. It was very exacting. And yet one thing he lacked, he lacked the baptism in Christ. He knew of John. He knew that John was pointing toward Christ, but he had not been baptized into Jesus yet. So Luke goes on to describe his ministry and his continuing education. Look in verse 26. It says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila. Now, who are they? They are traveling companions with Paul. So we learned in the previous story that Priscilla and Aquila have been traveling for some time now and spent quite a considerable time with Paul in Corinth. And they have learned the gospel from him. Can you imagine being Paul's disciple and traveling around with Paul and learning the gospel through him? So they are very well instructed in the faith. What do they do? After Priscilla and Aquila had heard him preach... They took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately to him. And when he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Uh, After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. So underline that line in your Bible right there. He was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So what is the headline on Apollos. It's not that he's a super cool guy named after a Greek god. It's this, Apollos was a great help to those who by grace had believed. This is the summary of his life. And so the question that is before us today in the text is, how do we become helpful? How, are, how do we become helpful to the body of Christ, to the church? And I think it's right here in this paragraph. Firstly, 
we resist the impulse to merely consume. We resist the impulse to merely consume. Luke's description of Apollos highlights his gifting. He says he was very gifted. He was very zealous. He taught accurately about Jesus. He was an educated, well-informed, gifted teacher. And Apollos didn't hesitate to contribute to the life of the church. No one ever described Apollos by saying, that guy is at every Bible study. Just taking great notes at every Bible study. No, he was, he was instructed in the Lord, but he was contributing. He was giving his God-given gifts and talents away for the cause of Christ, for the body of Christ, for the health of the church. What is a spiritual gift? What is a spiritual gift? So this is our way into serving and becoming helpful in the church, and that is to discover our spiritual gifts. We need to discover them. First of all, what are they? And then how do we identify them? Paul kind of tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, he says, now there are a variety of spiritual gifts, right? But it's the same Holy Spirit. There are different ministries, but it's the same Lord. There are different activities, but it's the same God who works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each individual for the benefit of the, the commonwealth, for the common good. And so a spiritual gift is any work of God's grace which is supplied by the Spirit of God to the individual intended for the edification, growth, and health of the church. That's what it is. It's very simple. It's not mystical. A spiritual gift is any work of grace given by the Spirit to the individual intended for the growth and the health and the building up of the body of Christ. And there are two varieties of spiritual gifts. There are two kinds. Now, I've heard people teach variously on this. I got to say, uh, there's a lot about spiritual gifts teachings out there that I agree with and some things I don't agree with, but I'm going to give you my take on this. And you're free to disagree with me if you want to, but I think I'm probably right. <laughs> <laughs> so there are basically two kinds of gifts. The first kind is a supernatural gift. That's pretty evident. I mean, it's pretty evident from Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Uh, it's pretty evident that there are some gifts that are not native. What I mean by non-native gift is you didn't have it before the Spirit gave it to you. So like a gift of healing or a miracle or the gift of discernment. One of the gifts that the Lord gave me when I became a Christian and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, as a teenager is the gift of public speaking. I remember taking a, a speech class in junior high, and I remember the teacher coming up to me quite literally and saying, have you thought about getting in the French class, like taking French? Because <laughs> I just stuttered and stammered and shook and was terrified. But I mean, no sooner did I get saved and baptized in the Spirit and come into the body of Christ, my uh, youth pastor asked me to get up and give my testimony for about 100 uh, youth one night, and I got up, and I just shared what the Lord had done in my life. I shared a couple of insights from Scripture, blew that place up. I, went, I came off, and I sat down, and my youth pastor scooched over next to me, and he goes, yeah, I kind of think God's probably called you to preach, because I think that's a gift the Lord has given you. Well, I didn't have that gift until the Lord gave it to me, and he gave it to me after I became a Christian. And from 15 to 50, I've been honing that gift. From the age of 15 to 50, I've been doggedly working on improving that gift. Now, some gifts you can't do that with. Some gifts you can't do that with, but I've been working on it. 
And so we discover these gifts that the Lord gives us. It can be a supernatural endowment. Listen, if you need a miracle, that's not something you can, you can uh, muster up. That's not something you can manufacture. You can't do that. That's a supernatural thing the Lord does. So there are gifts that are non-native to, to us. And there are also gifts that are extra natural. Well, they're native. They come with us. Now, for those of you who are naturally administrative people, okay, naturally administrative people, does God want to use your administrative gifts? Who gave you that gift? God, you didn't give it to yourself? Like, if you're naturally a left, uh, left-brained person and you just, you're just wired to think about details and organization and structure, you know, like Jace or somebody like that, and that's just how God has wired you, when you come into the body of Christ, what God wants to do is baptize that gifting into his service. He wants to sanctify it for the service of the Lord. And this is why Paul mentions gifts like healings and miracles and prophecy and public speaking and things like that. But this is why he also mentions Gifts of administration, gifts of benevolence and help, gifts of service, gifts of hospitality. If you're naturally a hospitable person and you just like having people over and you get saved and you're like, hey, I think I want to have people over my house. God is using that native ability within you for the benefit and the growth and the health of the body of Christ. So there are really two kinds of gifts. Now, how do you discover them? Best way to do it is just try. It's really trial and error. You can go to our website. On our discipleship page, we actually have a spiritual gift test that you can take. But all that can do is point you in the right direction. You really have to get into the body of Christ and and plant your life in the body of Christ to see what works and what doesn't. And then we need to develop our gifts. Develop our gifts. So after I had discovered that I had a gift of public speaking from 15 to 50, like I told you, I've been working on it, but there are other gifts in my life that I've discovered through serendipity that I've also been working on. And if it is a gift that you can, if it is a skill you can develop and grow in, we need to do that. We need to do that. Nobody is an A plus on day one. Nobody. Whatever gifts and abilities that God has placed in your life, those gifts need refinement They need practice, and they need experience, again, if they're skill-based. So we need to discover our spiritual gifts. We need to develop them. And then we need to deploy them in an appropriate ministry area or opportunity. So some of you have hidden talents and capabilities and potential, and you need to activate that for the glory of Christ and the growth of the body of Christ. So let me give you one caveat Uh, Some of you are not in a place where your gifts can be exercised in the body of Christ right now because you're broken, because you're in a season in which God wants you to heal. I have this muscle in my back, mid-back, sort of right behind my shoulder blade, just right underneath my shoulder blade, my scapula or whatever, and I pulled it working out about three or four weeks ago, and I've not been able to do any upper body exercises since then because I pulled it kind of bad, and I've, been, yeah, and I've been nursing it, icing it, heating it, resting it. And so while it's broken, it can't be exercised. Not, for, not right now. Because I'm in, a, I'm in a window of healing. And if you've been hurt by someone in the church, if you're in a place in your life where you're, you've been exhausted, you've been emptied onto suffering in your life, you may be in a place right now where you're in a season of healing, and that's okay. 
If you're new to this community and new to this church, we don't want you to serve yet. We want you to be around. We want you to plug into community. We want you to go through the membership class and come to First Connections and jump in one of our uh, First Principles of the Gospels class. Figure out who we are. Learn us. Let us learn you. And then we want to equip you to serve. So there are some situations where it's perfectly appropriate not to plug in with your spiritual gifts and talents. But let me say this. It's not okay to church hop, exhausting a church's resources, and then just moving on to a different church just because you crave novelty or you get bored. I have seen this happen a lot in the church, and I got to tell you, folks, I want to say this as nicely as I can. The church wasn't designed to do this because the church is not Costco. It's not Sam's Club, and you're not a customer, right? It's, it wasn't designed to do this. And, that, and listen, that is especially true at Christ Community Church. <laughs> like, that is especially true. We have structured this church as biblically as we can, and the biblical structure of church, here it is. It's to equip saints for ministry, it's not for, for people to show up and sit on the perimeter and watch a show. We don't care about that. What we care about is we care about equipping people to serve people. That's what we care about. So we need to develop our gifts and we need to deploy them in appropriate places in service. And this is exactly what we see Apollos doing. It's exactly what we see him doing. Uh, psychologist David Meyer from Hope College, he did a study, and here's what he concluded. David Meyer did a study, Dr. David Meyer did a study, and he concluded this. The previous generation, so he's talking about the builders, he's talking about like Gloria and Kermit, right, Gil, the people who built this country. He's saying in comparison to the builders, those of us who are Generation X and Boomers and Millennials and the other ones, <laughs> I don't know what they're called, right? The emergence generation, let's just call them that. Now, I'm not harping on this. Listen, I have kids who are millennials, and I love those kids to death, and they're hard workers. I have parents who are boomers. I have one parent who is a boomer, and I love them with all my heart, and they're wonderful people. So I'm not throwing anybody under the bus here. I'm just saying the study, David Myers did this study from Hope College, and here's what he found. That generation, compared to that generation, you and I have exponentially, exponentially, phenomenally more wealth and opportunity, and we're sadder, like much more depression. And here's why, because when you live in a culture and you live in a place like we do in America that literally disciples you to do nothing but consume and you don't contribute, it leads to all kinds of neuroses. It leads, it feeds uh, social pathologies. And so you and I, we must plug in with our gifts and our talents. And nobody ever described Apollos as a consumer. Luke described him as a spiritually gifted, knowledgeable, industrious member of the body of Christ who plugged in. And he was a great help to the church. Two, learn from mentors. So the second way we become a help, or rather than a hindrance, to the church is when we learn for mentors, for those who've been around. So, Apollos entered a mentoring and coaching relationship with people who had been around Paul and who had learned better, learned the gospel better. And there were some things, he, as no matter how talented he was, there were some things he had to learn. 
And Aquila and Priscilla were willing to serve in this capacity for him. Now, what I love about Apollos is he's not arrogant. He receives it. We'll talk about this in a second. What are we talking about? I'm talking about seeking out the advice, the wise counsel, and perspective of trusted friends who are maturing Christ and who can offer us some, some perspective on how we're serving and on our lives and how we're parenting. We need this. So there are two terms that will help us here. The first one is the word agonistark. You're definitely going to, what did you think you were coming to church and not learn some Greek words? You're going to learn some, okay? There's two or three I want to teach you. So the first one is agonistark. Agonistark is a word that is used in the New Testament, and it means one who trains and coaches. It's the ancient Greek word for coach. And it comes from the Greek word from agonia, where we get the word agony. (laughs) Now, the Jews attended synagogue, and the synagogue was their cultural and worship center, whatever city they lived in, right? That there was always a synagogue or two or three. Now, the Greeks were fascinated by this whole idea of synagogue. They thought it was very interesting. They created their own cultural center called gymnasia. And that's the word where we get the word gymnasium. The gymnasia, it was the Greek cultural center. And it wasn't just like a room where they came and played basketball. It was a whole cultural vibe there. Like you came to the gymnasium, you came there to train. And young men would come there not only to learn philosophy and learn how to swim, you came to learn how to wrestle or how to run, or how to perform a sport. And, and what you did is you came to put yourself through agonia. And the person who put you through agonia was the Stark. He was your coach. Now, he wasn't your father. He wasn't your dad. He was just a person who was there to lead you, lead you, and help you to gain a requisite skill set. And this is what coaching does. And I think of the NBA, which I don't watch anymore, but I used to. And when I did, I would always find it kind of funny, interesting, that there were these, guys, these short coaches. Like, how can a short coach who's like five foot eight coach a guy who's six foot eight? How can that short guy tell that guy to slam dunk the basketball? What does the coach have? The coach can't necessarily do what the players on the court can do. What he can do is stand back. He has an objective perspective. He's standing on the sideline, and he can see where the play is breaking down. He can see where the defense is breaking down. He can see where the offense is not quite getting it right. And this is a coach. The coach has an objective perspective for your life. They can't necessarily do what you can do, but they're there to give you the needed skill set that you have for life. And they had this in the ancient world. This is exactly what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 25. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes through strict training. He uses this word, agonistark, or the verbal form of it. So he says, everyone who competes, they're trained, they're coached. And in the same way, you and I are in a competition. You and I are in a Christian life, and we're to come to this Christian life with competitive energy, a competitive edge to become better for the body of Christ, for the building up of his church. And the second word is the word rabbi or mentor. Now, the Aramaic word rabbi, it's pronounced ravi, and the Greek word for rabbi is the word mentor. And we get the word mentor from that word. I don't know if you guessed that, but um, (laughs) it goes back to Odysseus, who leaves his family, 
goes off and fights the war. Remember in Homer's Iliad, he goes off and he fights the war. And who does he leave his family with? Mentor. And who is Mentor in the story? He's a proxy father. And this is why mentors and rabbis were called fathers. And this is why coaches were called instructors. And so Jesus plays both of these roles in the life of the disciples. He is their instructor, instructor, but he's also their mentor. He's also their rabbi. Because the difference between the coach and the, and the rabbi, or the coach, the instructor, and the mentor is this. The rabbi, you, you don't just listen to his teaching. You don't just learn his doctrines. You follow his model. You follow his way of life. And so we need mentors, we need rabbis, we need people in the church who serve this function. Listen, you can't always have a pastor present. I would love to be present for every one of you in the mix and the stuff of your life, but I can't be. But there are people in this church who could coach you. There are people in this church who could give you mentoring and help you through a season in your life. And we need these people. First Corinthians 4.15, here's what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, for you have countless instructors. You have a lot of coaches. But you don't have very many fathers. You don't have very many mentors. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He's saying to them, you heard my gospel and you saw my way of life. I was with you so long. You can attest, you know that my life matched my teaching." And you can follow me as I follow Christ. And so we need these people in our lives. We need instructors and we need fathers. We need coaches and we need mentors. Some biblical examples to note would be Exodus 18 with Jethro and Moses. Remember that story? Deuteronomy 34 with Moses and Joshua. Or Elijah and Elisha. Naomi and Ruth. Elizabeth and young Mary, Barnabas and Paul, Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy, Peter and Mark, John Mark, who ended up writing the gospel of Mark. We need these folks in our lives. So how do we get them? How do I get mentoring help? Give me some, some ideas here. The first one is to participate in body life. This is the easiest and the hardest answer. This is the easiest and the hardest way because really, this, is, this doesn't take a lot of effort just to show up. But it's one of the hardest things for us to do given how busy we are in life. The best coaching and mentoring relationships are organic. They happen organically. They happen when you show up to real men or to the women's discipleship meeting or whatever it is and you begin to mingle and you start to get to know people who are there and those and God may have someone there whom he sovereignly ordained to help you to grow and to connect with and to help you walk through life and then you could reach out to a ministry leader reach out to a ministry leader that's kind of a scary thing to do is to actually approach someone and say hey would you consider coaching me for a while i do this with uh, Vic Pearson and uh, Alan Gun. I meet with them every other week, and uh, it costs them a breakfast, a little bit of time. Sometimes I almost always forget my wallet, as the pastoral staff will tell you I do, and someone else has to pay. Uh, but I just love meeting with these guys. They are my mentors. They are my coaches. They're my pastors too, but I love meeting with them. And so, yes, it, it'll cost you a little bit of time, 
But you can reach out to a leader and say, hey, would you be willing to meet with me on a regular basis? I had a friend of mine who really surprised me one time. I was a, the worship pastor at this new church plant we were doing. We spent about six months kind of preparing to launch this new church in North Spokane. His name was Mike. Uh, Mike, if you're watching, I love you. But uh, Mike was my pastor, but he was also my mentor. But at the time, uh, I really didn't think of him as a mentor. And we were sitting over lunch one day, and he said, hey, I'm really surprised at you. And I said, why? Because I'm awesome? <laughs> he said, no. He said, I'm really surprised that you haven't asked me to be mentored yet, to be your mentor. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Like, I didn't even know that was available. And he said, yeah, it is, and you need it. <laughs> you know, so for the next three and a half years, that guy, I'm telling you, some of the things that are true about me in ministry today, my ministry DNA, I owe to him mentoring me during that season in my life. So reach out. Be proactive. You might be surprised. Be open to evaluation. I had a young guy who was on my staff, and, and uh, he was a young, he was a youth pastor type, and, and uh, so we were sitting in my office one day, and I tried to pull a mic on him. I was like, I'm going to do what Mike did. And I said, hey, young man, I'm very surprised at you. He said, what, that I'm awesome? I go, no. I said, uh, I'm surprised you haven't asked me to be your mentor yet. This is what he said to me. No, thanks. <laughs> Just this young, arrogant punk <laughs> who thought he knew everything. And 10 years later, he called me and said, hey, I'm really sorry. I should have taken, your, <laughs> taken you up on the offer. But life has a tendency to teach us. But be open to evaluation. There's nothing more annoying than trying to mentor someone. And they're just, frankly, they don't, either don't solicit the evaluation or they, they just don't, they don't submit to the word of God or wise counsel. So if you're in that relationship with someone, listen, be willing to hear some hard things. Be open-minded. And then reevaluate the relationship. All relationships eventually need reevaluation. They do. Sometimes you have to break up, and you have to do it amicably, and it has to be mutual. Right? I don't have a single mentor that I've had over the last 30 years in the Christian faith that is still a mentor for me. Now, they're still very respected leaders. They're still godly friends. I love them in some ways. They, they still are coaches for me, but they're not mentors. And sometimes you got to break up. Have you ever had to break up with someone, someone? How'd that conversation go? Was it amicable? I did that with a girl right before I was dating Carrie. Uh, we were good friends. We were tight. We just hung around all the time. She had very many admirable qualities. But there was no spark between us. So I had to say, you know what? This season in our life, I had to break it to her that we were just going to be friends. <laughs> and so this was like in the 90s, and I opened the conversation by saying, hey, have you heard of that new show called Friends? That is the worst break of line ever. I needed coaching. <laughs> okay. I, just, I, I needed mentoring at that point in my life. And but we had a nice conversation. It was amicable, and I just decided, hey, I know that was a terrible line, but here's the deal. We're going to be in the friend zone. And sometimes there is a season in which you enter a relationship with someone, you have a very kind of intense mentoring or coaching relationship, but then that season is over for a while anyway. So reevaluate. Don't be afraid to reevaluate. And, and lastly, understand that mentoring is for a season. I said that. Apollos did not stay under the tutelage of Priscilla and Aquila forever. He did not. 
Apollos moved on. Eventually, he became his own man, and he was teaching in Corinth, and he became very popular there. And what I love about Priscilla and Aquila is that they were willing leaders. They were willing to step up. Let's talk about this. How do I become like Aquila and Priscilla? How do I become a good mentor? I would say, firstly and foremostly, count the cost. Because there is a cost. Sometimes the cost is heartbreak. Because sometimes you enter into a relationship with someone and you give them guidance and you lead them along and you see them making improvements, but then they break your heart because they just fall off. They reject God. They walk away from the faith. So you need to count the cost. And it is going to cost you some time and maybe a little money over coffee. And also don't mentor members of the opposite sex. This should really go without saying. And I'm not talking about people in your organization. If you have a staff or, and they look to you and they're members of the opposite sex, but you have people there in your organization and they look to you as a mentor in the business. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about after hours. I'm talking about before hours. Like I have a personal policy. And the policy is this. I do not meet with a woman who is not my wife alone. I don't do that. Unless it's during work hours, it's in a pastoral context, and I know I've got close people right outside my door. My, win- my window's open, right? So be careful there. That's, this is how calamity happens. And then commit to a standard meeting. So make it a lunch or a coffee, but have generally a standing appointment with people. If you don't put it on your schedule, it's not going to happen. It isn't going to happen. Put it, schedule it. And then uh, stay humble and give God the glory. One of the hardest things, at least for me to do, is when I am mentoring someone and they are doing well, like they are flourishing in their ministry or their context or whatever it is, what I have to remind myself of is, is hey, this is, the, this is to the glory of God. This is because God is the one who gave the growth. And so we have to stay humble and give the glory to God. Look at what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 3, 5. He says, what then is Apollos? We read this earlier. What is Paul? They're servants. They're instruments through whom you believed. And each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Paul says, and Apollos watered the seed, but it is God who gave the growth. Let us not forget that if the Lord doesn't grow a person, they're not going to grow. Okay, so we can be very instrumental in what the Lord is doing, but it is God ultimately who gives the growth. And don't require an exclusive commitment. I thought about this one, and I thought, yeah, I need to add it. Because over the last 30 or so years of ministry, I've seen some weird stuff happen. Like, I've just seen people follow other people, and then they get addicted to that person's voice. And that almost never, I don't think it ever goes well. Listen, you should not become addicted. There's a danger in becoming addicted to anyone's voice. Now, I have several people, as I've, as I've stated before, there are several people in my life, about six or seven of them, uh, that I listen to on a frequent, regular basis. I, William Lane Craig is the top for me. <laughs> yeah, shocker. Um, I, I, I usually listen to him every day, some systematic theology lecture, because I'm just interested in that. Well, or I'll listen to Don Carson. For biblical theology, for me, it's, Dr. Don, it's D.A. Carson. 
Um, But there's a point at which the Spirit, after a while, the Spirit will whisper into my heart and say, time to turn William off. It's time to turn Don off. Because I start to become accustomed to their voice and dependent on it. And the Lord wants me to be dependent on His voice. See, these people are instruments, they're useful, but God is the authority. God is the source. And we have to be reminded of that. 1 Corinthians 3.22, Paul goes on to say, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, let's just throw it all in there, or things present or things to come in the future, all is yours. Everything is yours. If you love to listen to Tim Keller on your jogs or while you're working out, God bless you. It's not as good as me, but I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. He's much better. Much more seasoned. I would love for him to be my mentor. But, um, but listen, all are yours. Whatever blesses you and encourages you and whatever builds you up so that you can build the local fellowship up, the local body of Christ, Paul says, I'm all for it. So let's recap. Apollos was known for contributing what God had planted in his heart, his abilities, his talents, his spiritual gifts, Contributing and serving with our spiritual gifts inoculates us, cures us from becoming terminal complainers and ineffective, from becoming atrophied and paralyzed members of the body of Christ. And Apollos was eager not only to plug in, but also to be taught in those areas of deficiency. And he responded well as a mentoree. And Priscilla and Aquila... They were willing and able mentors. They stepped up, took the initiative, and the body of Christ in Ephesus and Corinth and that region was greatly blessed because two people pulled him aside and says, you're very talented, you're very gifted, but there's more that you don't know about. And so, folks, you and I need to take up this challenge. How can we be helpful to the body of Christ? This is how. This is how. Will you pray with me? Invite the ushers up and the worship team to come back up. If you will, just bow your head and close your eyes. Just give this a minute or two here. Is there an area in your life where this message is applying to you right now? Is there an area in your gifting, how God has wired you, resources that he's brought into your life? that you need to begin to contribute to the body of Christ. And you would say, this morning, I've just become a little bit too much of a consumer. I've just leaned into that instinct a little bit too much. Would you just take the time right now, confess it to the Lord? We all do that from time to time. And God, we just, we just want to confess that. And God, we ask that you would give us, uh, that you would just light a fire under us to serve, to contribute, to be members and ministers. Is there any way this morning that you feel like in your heart you really could make a contribution to someone else's life? I mean, if someone were to come to you and ask you today, would you mentor me? Would you help me? Would you help me along in this season of my life? Would you be open-minded to doing that? And as the Spirit moves on your heart, just respond to the Lord. And maybe you're sitting here and you think, oh, gee, I'm the one that needs coaching and mentoring. I'm the one that needs some some guidance here. 
Would you ask the Lord to help you to make a connection in this local church, in this church right here? A relationship that can help you get through a season in your life where you need that mentoring input. You need that coach standing on the sideline, helping you, giving you perspective. Would you just ask the Lord for it? And God, we do. We commit these things to you. Lord, help us to be an interdependent, interconnected body where all the members in this body are either healing or useful for the growth of the body. Help us with that, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.